Today we're answering a cry for help from the scariest place in the universe. The child's bedroom. Tell me about George. He's scared to death of everything. <laughs> We're dead, aren't we? <laughs> you see these eyes? They're old eyes. The one thing I can tell you, Alex. Monsters are real. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to start by welcoming back Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well, sir. Doing pretty well. How about you, dude? I can't complain. It's Tuesday night. We're talking Doctor Who, and I'm talking to the two of you, not the two Clarences, but Clarence Brown and Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? Fine as silk, man. Just fine. As one of my friends used to say, fine as frog's hair. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but yeah. I think I like it better when you say grand, and then that way I, I can say, oh, like a piano. Yes, like a piano. Yeah, my um, uh, my my classes started back. My uh, finally back to back to teaching, and I dig it. I miss it when it's not, uh, you know, when that's not what I'm doing. So glad to be back with all those people. So even though we're not in the same room. Well, it, you know, that's just sort of like connecting because it's interesting how you and Clarence and me, we've been connecting virtually the way people have connected over the last year yeah. for almost five years now. Exactly. This is the norm for us. Yeah. I, I have another colleague who has been teaching online for years as I have. And, and he said that he's, he feels like he's got a little bit of survivor guilt and I hadn't thought about it, but that's, yeah, he's put his finger right on it. I, For me, during the pandemic, not a lot has changed. So, you know, my heart goes out to people for whom everything has changed. But, you know, yeah. so I'm just grateful. So, and unfortunately, it seems like those jobs that are the least, well, I don't know how to put this. The, the Most of the service industry jobs are the ones that. They aren't able, people aren't able to go to customer service uh, as far as like restaurants and things like that. Sure. Those are the ones that have been most affected. And fortunately, most of the time, those are the least lucrative. So right. it's, it's, it's been hard for a lot of people. And, you know, we've just been blessed enough to be in a position where we can kind of just sit it out. You know, I think we've had this discussion either on the podcast or offline before about going in and doing things and, I was looking at the calendar the other day and thinking, it's almost a year since I have actually been inside a restaurant to eat. I mean, I picked food up from restaurants, but as far as going in, sitting down and eating inside, third week of March, which is, this is, you know, mid-January, so two months from now, yeah. will be a year. Yeah, it's, it's it's been a long one, man, and hopefully, keeping my fingers crossed, hopefully by by the time the summer gets here, things will start to at least start to get back. To get enough people vaccinated. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know what? Something that I think that is a little not normal because I've never known a comic book featuring a Doctor Who character singular. Now, I think we've had a Torchwood comic from a publisher before 
I may be wrong on that, but I think we have had a Torchwood comic. But that said, Titans Comics, and this is news, of course, Titans Comics, as of April 2021, is coming out with, I'll just give you a hint, I must say something nice about this book, Missy Number 1. Hmm. I just think that is so cool. It's it's uh, it's interesting. But yeah, of, of all people from the vast panoply of Doctor Who characters to pick that incarnation of the Master. Interesting. So here is the synopsis. Missy wages war on the Doctor, uh, but this time she's not alone. Can the combined brilliance of the 3rd and 12th Doctor avert her deadly scheme, or will she get her hands on a secret weapon capable of wrecking havoc on the universe? Wow. So I'm intrigued. Somebody's drawing Michelle Gomez fighting with John Pertwee and Peter Cushing. Uh, Peter <laughs> Cushing. Peter Capaldi. <laughs> Peter Capaldi. Wow. Hey, I'm down. I am, I'm looking at, and Clarence, you and I have had the conversation before about how the, the essence of the character is usually not captured in comic book form. Mm -hmm. If the drawing that they have of Missy that they have on the Doctor Who site, uh, doctorwho.tv that I'm looking at right now, if this is how she looks, this look, this is, capturing michelle gomez left right up and down all around <laughs> i am like psyched so let me ask you guys a question would would you be interested in say they just attempt to do a wild card crazy series of doctor who and much like this book we just have a single season where we follow the adventures of the master whoever that may be <laughs> and that might be a cool way to bring in doctors from different eras and still making mm. sense in a in the sense of a, a single you know arc of a, over one series it would depend on how it was written <laughs> i mean just I, that, I think that could be brilliant it could also be terrible <laughs> you, know, you just yeah you know i'm sitting here thinking of all of the possibilities and you're right this this could go the route of is this a pressed in comic book form is this a prestige format, or is this a filler issue? Mm, good analogy. I would hope it would be a prestige format, but weirder things have happened. Yes. I'm just saying. Yes. But you know what is not weird, Lee Shackelford? I've got to point Whoa. this one to you. Mm. A certain something that over the last three or four years in this podcast that we mention habitually has won something, am I right? Perhaps you want to tell us about it. Yes, uh, Oz Nine won at least one of the the uh, the Audioverse awards, and uh, so have some of my other podcasting friends and favorite shows. And I'm embarrassed to say I don't know which ones. So, well, yeah, but I've been sulking let, about. Uh, well, that. well, well, well. Let me say that since you said that you 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 didn't quite go the way I was wanting you to go with that, but I'm just saying it's not my fault, but. <laughs> I was wanting you to talk, relatively speaking, about something else. Hint, hint, hint. Yes, yes. I know that. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> playing with you. Yeah, I was at the doctor getting a shot. Not the one that I want. We're in line for the vaccine, but I was getting another uh, another seasonal vaccine. And while they're sticking needles in my arm, my phone is ping-pinging. And it's uh, Elena Jordan. And she's saying, we won, we won. And I'm saying, 
what? What, what, what are you? <laughs> Give me a minute. I gotta, I gotta take this. Uh, try to divided concentration. And she's saying the AVA Digital Award. I entered relativity. I didn't tell you that that was, but yeah. So we, we won in the podcasting category, the Platinum Award. And the for people who don't know, the AVA Digitals are it's it's a it's a commercial level. Uh, awards that's um that they give out a lot of awards but they go to like corporate clients um uh, my competition was um aarp you know some other people who do things on radio and anyway it, it was um kind of amazing and because i just had a, a needle jabbed in my arm i was just sort of sitting around being stunned and saying this can't, can't be right i can't i can't wait until i <laughs> get my head screwed on and figure out what actually did happen. But no, that really is what happened. Uh, Relativity won the, the Platinum Award in its category from the, the uh, AVA Digital Awards. And there's a beautiful statuette that goes with this, which I, uh, my understanding from other people who've won these is that uh, they'll put it in the mail. Yes, <laughs> they don't have an awards ceremony. Yeah, so one day Absolutely I'll get this. Absolutely amazing. It's, yeah. Yeah, all of which is say thanks to everybody who's uh, had anything to do with relativity over the years, which, of course, includes the two of you. So we wouldn't have gotten there without you. I can say for the both of you, congratulations for I, well, I say to the both of you, congratulations, because literally you two are characters, real characters at that. Ooh. If you listen to our last episode for everyone listening, we mentioned last summer that we were recording a, or we were asking for feedback of why is the doctor important to you? Well, the fruits of our labor and for everyone who submitted feedback and to be included as part of that, the fruits of the labor are here. So you can go to Amazon and there is a link in the show description of the show notes below. Real characters, it is out for by today. And yeah. I just got mine in the mail today. Woohoo. Oh, okay. I was going to say, Clarence is living proof, but, uh, but so are you. Yes. Yes. I mean, that was so cool to like open it up. We're chapter 11 mm -hmm. and I took a picture of it because it was like, there we are. Chapter yeah. 11. Us it's got discussing me, who. It's got me name on it. <laughs> yes. It's true. Yeah. Certainly an honor to, to be a part of that and just thank you, you and Karen for allowing us to contribute. And as well as to everybody else who, you know, wrote in and contributed thoughts to the book and wait to read it from cover to cover and hear all of the other insights on various other franchises. So, yeah, I think it's uh, I have not read all of it myself. And uh, I, but, yeah, you just go through the table of contents and go, oh, that. Oh, that's interesting. That would be. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, something else. Well, you know what? Something else that I have before we get oh. into this show I have feedback. feedback. I love feedback. Yeah. And I have feedback. So the first piece of feedback comes from Vanessa McNamara. And this is in regards to A Good Man Goes to War. She writes and says, just wanted to tell you that A Good Man Goes to War is one of my favorites as well. Matt goes through just about every emotion in this one. I always love it when he gets mad. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so as always, Vanessa, thank you so very much. The next piece of feedback comes from a gentleman. I love this name. His name is Franklin Franks. He has reached out to us both on Instagram as well as via email. And via email, he says, hey, I'm Frank Franks, and I've been listening to your podcast 
at the best time, directly after watching a Doctor Who marathon where I binge-watched the all of the 9th, 10th, and 11th, and so on up to modern-day episodes. Also, I'm watching Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures. I listen on Spotify, where there doesn't seem to be a place or a way to rate the podcast, but if I could, mm. I would give it, I would give this one a five star. Woohoo! Cool. Yeah. And this is my favorite part. That spoiler warning, it is hilarious. The repeating of it. <laughs> oh, man. I love that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I love some love for the spoiler warning. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks uh, to Frank for reaching out and also for sharing some of our content on Instagram. Uh, that's why I first got wind of, of Frank Franks. So uh, I really appreciate him sharing our content and, and thanks for the love, man. Awesome. Well, yeah. today, as we are recording this, it is the 19th of January. And I believe, based on a comment that he made in his email, that we are just a few days away from Frank's birthday as of this recording. So happy belated birthday, mate. And how's that for some wibbly wobbly posty of uh, the podcasting? <laughs> Don't Seriously. ever say that again. Yeah. Because we're a few <laughs> days away from his birthday. That's yes. happening in a few days. So happy belated birthday, because uh, by the time yeah. this goes down. That's right. Hashtag posty of the podcasty. Yes. <laughs> I'm on a roll tonight. I'm just telling yes. you. So our next bit of feedback is audio feedback that I'm about to insert here from the one and only Dave Cooper. Hi, Kyle. Lee and Clarence, it's Dave C here, just giving Matt some feedback, following on from your uh, great episode, um, episode 222, review of the talons of Wang Chiang. I think Lee says it better. Anyway, um, the, there was some question about the portrayal of uh, someone of a Chinese origin in this episode uh, and how it would have affected the people watching it when the episode first aired in, was it 1977, I believe, uh, early on, yeah, uh, between February and April 1977. And, of course, uh, the character was played by Michael Spice, of course, just searching for his name there. Um, yes, I, I think by that time we had, in the UK, were still surprised that they didn't have an actor of uh, the... Uh, correct ethnic origin or at least of an Asian background to play that character. I mean, it's happened before in Doctor Who, going all the way back to, um, we'll say, the Celestial Toy Maker, of course, uh, was a first Doctor story, one of the unfortunate lost uh, series of stories. I think there's a uh, one episode surviving of that. And that uh, the Toy Maker, who was bedecked in the Chinese costume and so on, uh, was played by the wonderful Michael Goff. And, of course, Clarence will know this by now. He was married to none other than Polly. Yes, he was married to um, Annika Wells. I mean, that's beside the point, but it's one of those lovely trivia things that we like to think about. But again, it was uh, an English actor playing uh, someone of a, a different uh, ethnic background. All of it is actually due to repertoire theatre in terms of who acted that part, because as as uh, Lee will 
obviously have known and regaled you with the fact that um, uh, the early theatrical companies used to travel around. They were travelling playwrights. They were travelling actors. They were a band. And they would probably be, what, 12, 14, 16 actors in that uh, company. And when they went to a certain town and went to a theatre, they need to maximise their income. So they didn't just go in there and do one story that they'd rehearsed. They had a um, probably each year they probably had about five or six plays that they could do and they were perhaps going to a theatre for a week or two weeks and on each successive night you know not the early part of the week but say Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday they'd do four different plays and the different actors would play the the different parts uh more major in others than others and uh if they needed a Chinese man for one then one of the actors stepped up to the plate and it was as simple as that. It was not to be offensive, not to be anything other than the fact that, um, you know, you, you lent your hand to the skills and tasks and requirements of the job. And if you were uh, in a company of actors like that, you know, um, you played whatever part you were told to play and were no doubt grateful for it. What well, once... We were already well into our, the 70s with this. Of course, let me just give some timelines. The um, Celestial Toymaker was 1966. And um, the other one that I mentioned, uh, Planet of the Spiders, was when? 1974. So there's really no excuse at 77 for them to have uh, not a diversity of other actors that they could call upon. So I'll leave it at that. Thanks for your great show, guys. Uh, wonderful podcast goodness. Bye from me. Bye. So, yeah, Dave, thank you for that feedback. I uh, really appreciate it. And what I got most out of what you told us in that short feedback is that I didn't realize that with these traveling theater or traveling plays, they, I guess it makes sense in hindsight, but they pretty much had to use the actors they had no matter what race or that they were or ethnicity that they were if they're doing four different plays while they're traveling around everybody pretty much has to take maybe an unconventional or a or a role that's not well suited for their race or ethnicity and make it work so thanks for pointing that out that that's kind of like where that started where you have different races playing different characters at least a part of it maybe not where it started Yeah. yeah yeah But it is. It's a great point. And it's back when we used to have live theater and people could come and <laughs> as a crowd to an audience. Yeah, it, it was it's very common for professional companies to have a a summer season or, you know, a whole season where you hire one company to do all of the shows. I mean, so that it's a tradition that's hundreds of years old, but we're uh, we're still doing it in a very real way. And yeah, sometimes you really think about each and every character that's going to be cast, and sometimes you don't. You just cast the company, and then <laughs> when you get down to do the play, you go, oh, we forgot about that. So, yeah, so that definitely was some great insight. And also, you know, he, he Dave, you know, he also mentions that by the time that we get to the talents of Wing Chang, that it was kind of shunned upon to have, you know, a different ethnicity playing certain characters. So even at that time, it was a little weird 
but but thank goodness we kind of <laughs> moved away from that completely by now. So yeah. So for everyone listening, if you would like to hear the complete version of the feedback from Dave Cooper, you can hear it in its entirety over on our Patreon page, which can be found, of course, at patreon.com slash discussing network. So our last piece of feedback relates directly to the episode we are about to review, and it comes from our friend Claire Ashton. Claire says that she loves this episode Doctor Who has this knack of taking something childlike and innocent and turning it into something off-nerving, sinister, and threatening. So, gentlemen, do you guys have anything else before we get into the review? Not I. Alrighty, so that means I get to say, if you have not seen Night Terrors, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review Night Terrors. This is the eighth episode of the 2011 series of Doctor Who, first airing on the 3rd of September 2011. It starred Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor. Karen Gillan as Amy Pond, and Arthur Darville as Rory Williams. So, summary view. Clarence Brown, I'll let you start. Summary view. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was an interesting episode. Admittedly, it's not my favorite. Uh, it starts kind of slow, but it does pick up by the end just a little bit. I got, um, what's, what's the thing, uh, the, the, what's the, below the, the, Oh, wow. I'm having a brain freeze here. What's the Stranger Things down below? The, the upside down. Yeah, the upside yeah. down. So, yeah. Yeah. I got kind of the upside down vibes in it. Honestly, it, it all made sense by the end with uh, the revelation of who George really is. But I have to say, I was kind of bored through most of it. So that's that's kind of my thoughts. on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you you led with the. Um... Uh, a comment from somebody who really likes this episode because it it reminds me to not be mean to it uh, because you know these are just opinions right and everybody's got one um, it, this is not an episode that I care for at all but uh, but I can see why uh, a discerning fan might really enjoy this if um, it's just as just as uh, the the listener said it it, it is that do- that thing that Doctor Who does exceedingly well, especially Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, uh, of taking something innocent and making us look at it differently and feel terrified by it. Uh, and and I really, really do love the doctors, the doctor responding to the call from this little boy. Um, it, it, it brings us back to the beast below where uh, um, the doctor tells Amy that uh, he doesn't get involved <laughs> and she sees right away that that's not true. He says, so the, the rule is we don't get involved unless there's a little girl crying. And he says, yeah, that's even in our chapter in the book, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I love that, that revelation so much. And here it is paying off again. He comes across the universe to, to uh, save George from the monsters. And all of us who are dads um, feel for George's dad and we 
love what the doctor is doing for George because and and a reminder that the doctor is somebody's father has been yeah. um, I I don't think I'd caught before the little moment there where he's trying to comfort George and it's not really working and the doctor says to himself a little rusty yeah. um, I just um, <laughs> I like that so it, yeah there, there's just so much in it that I feel like I've seen before and that's because I'm terribly old so that's that's a problem oh no, you're not yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of. <laughs> well, I think this is the this is another, and I'm going to use a trope that we on this podcast, or specifically I will say quite often, coming at a story from a review point of view opens up an avenue that I don't think was there as first time mm-hmm. watching it through. Because the first time watching it through, I can say without a doubt that I have watched this twice last night and earlier this morning, half and half. And the first time it was aired, I don't even think I bought this episode. Uh, This was right before I think it was series seven before I started buying the complete series, you know, themselves. So I don't think I even bought this episode. And if I did, I've never gone back and watched it. I was bored watching it through the first time. This time I did get bored in the first part of it, but I did find some things that I could appreciate in the second part and and maybe even something I can make a joke of in the first part. So yeah. so I, I have a question. I guess we can revisit this at the end of the review, but you guys have showed a disdain for sleep no more. <laughs> And I'm wondering, you know, Kyle, you said this is not one that you revisited or, you know, even watched twice. And is it something that actively disgusts you and sleep no more <laughs> to where that one is just like at the top of your head? Or was it just forgettable? I'm trying to I'm just trying to weigh in because hmm. I because I I don't even remember this episode and I remember Sleep No More not being that bad. So (laughs) I know exactly what, what like rubbed me the total wrong way. Absolutely. I know what that is. Okay. Okay. I guess when we get there, we'll see. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still debating on whether or not I want to like zone out on you guys when, when, (laughs) when I'm sleeping no more, but you want me to tell you what it is? I'll tell you what it is since you brought it up. Let's wait. Let's wait. For okay. Let's wait. Because I gotta watch it again. That's thing. Anyway. But but uh, your point about watching this from a critical perspective is as always well taken because in a way we have to cut Night Terrors some slack just because it's the episode after Let's Kill Hitler. Yeah. I mean, what? Where are you going to go from there? Mm. And and I remember watching these as they were being broadcast, and we got to this one, and I was. You know, I was there with my, you know, on the sofa with my popcorn and ready for something like "Let's Kill Hitler," and then and we got this, and I said, "Oh, yeah," and, and and maybe even the the most affordable or cheapest episode of the season to make because it wasn't a lot of flashy stuff in the uh, flashy bits. <laughs> well, it's true, yeah, yeah. Which you know is that's very common on shows like this. You know <laughs> that you have a you have a bottle show where you can kind of recover your budget and move on. So, but but that's, that's one of the things actually that I found uh, uh, awkward about this script is that Mark Gatiss actually has them comment on it in the show, you know, 
But Amy says, I thought, you know, I, I, I thought this is all going to be, you know, history and aliens and stuff. And he says, no, not all the time. Oh, I, I love thought, that, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, we're going no, here. True. Yeah. And, you know, it, we're, we're at a council estate flat, you know, and I didn't I wasn't complaining about that when Rose and Jackie and Mickey were yeah. there, was I? So, yeah. you know, but um, we could have took the bus. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and and that was a question that I had for you you guys is and since you brought it up, is that the same location? It sure looks like it, but it I, does, doesn't it? But I remember being on a in a taxi going through London at one point and I just and I remember looking out the window thinking all these council estate flats look exactly the same. Really? <laughs> so, you know, so it yeah, I think that's the deal. They just there was there was this time when they built all of this, you know, low income housing, and it is is like they they had a machine that would squeeze them out. <laughs> this episode for me, I liked parts of it. I, I, I'm coming back to that. I liked parts of it, but I'm going to go with what Clarence said at the beginning. It was a slow burn. It was a very slow start, and it it didn't feel. I don't know. It just didn't feel impactful, maybe, you know, that it moved the story any. And I want to know, do you guys think if you were to characterize this story, would you describe it as being dark? Yes or no? Oh, it's extremely dark. Okay. Mm. The reason I ask that question, it was originally supposed to be in the first block of stories. They right. moved it because it was dark and they wanted to take a less dark emphasis in the first part of this series or, or spread the darkness out a little bit. Right. So they moved <laughs> it. And there is a line, now that I know that, there is a line at the end that it makes sense that it was at the, you know, originally supposed to be at the beginning where the doctor says we're all back together again in the flesh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that struck me too, that he, he used that term. Um, it, it's a very, very dark episode. And I guess anytime that we're going to focus on uh, a child being scared out of his wits and find out that he's, this is not, uh, he's not being silly. He's right. And the dollhouse is something that, you know, in a way, the, the play of the dollhouse is that you imagine yourself being inside it. And that's good and it's fun. Well, these people really are inside it and it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's hell. I, I, I love the uh, – maybe my favorite line from this is, is Rory making a joke about that. That when they wake up in there, he says, oh, we're dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're dead again. <laughs> yeah. And I also find it dark in the sense of when we think of George's parents – I think the mother's name is Claire. I can't remember the father's name. Alex. But, yeah, Alex. And they're attempting to deal with the situation to where they, it seems like as if they truly believe that George has a problem. Mm -hmm. So we just, we hear them outright say in kind of a flippant way, he needs a doctor. You know, they, they're really seeing this as a serious, I guess, psychological is the word, psychological issue that mm -hmm. he's dealing with. And I find that to be very dark. Yeah, I mean, I know it, it, it happens to kids all the mm -hmm. time, but it's just sad in a way to see uh, this kid going through that. So what did you think of this concept of putting the bad things in the cupboard? That bothered me as a parent. I thought, well, wait a minute. So it's, it's still <laughs> in his room. Yes, that's what I said. 
I <laughs> like what? Yeah, it's like that's not the choice I would have made. No, I. <laughs> so what? When he opened the cupboard, what were you expecting to see? Huh. Yeah, yeah, no idea. Yeah, not me either, because we knew what Amy and Rory were going through in the Upside Down. So, so of course you kind of expected to somehow tie into there, uh, which it did. I don't know if I expected to be a sucking wormhole or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Pulling them through. That wasn't expected, but you know, it makes sense. So Nicole's going to love this. Just, just pre- let me preface by saying this. When they opened it, I expected to see Chibnall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, at this time he was off doing something good. I may say. Yeah. The, maybe so. Maybe so. The other place I wanted to take that was, it made me wonder you know, thinking about kids, even myself, I can think back whenever I was little, being afraid of the dark or thinking you saw something in the dark and whatever, and knowing all the kids see this. So it just made me pose the question and write it down of whether or not as a society that we condition ourselves not to see things that are there simply Mm -hmm. because that's what we've been conditioned to say. Oh, you didn't see anything in the dark. There wasn't somebody standing in the room. Or you see where I'm going with that? Mm-hmm. That we yeah. have perception as children that we dull down because we are told, "Oh, you thought you heard something? No, that wasn't blah blah. That was blah blah." Can't be. You know. Can't. Be. Just interesting. Yeah. I think that's a profound observation that that that. We, we learn that as children and we may carry that through our whole lives is that sort of instant. No, that's not, really, that, that's not what that is. And one thing that talking about things observed that was kind of profound for me was the kid watching the parents talk about he needs a doctor mm-hmm. and hearing that and thinking that could shape his perception of himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, my understanding is that the most common thing that happens with the little kids, you know, when their parents break up is that they've they've heard them fighting or whatever. And uh, but they don't tell them about it. they don't tell the child about it. And so the child concludes from that that it must have been their fault. It's, it's funny because um, when you think of the resolution of the story, it was for Alex to believe in George. I think that's what I got from that. Mm-hmm. So. I wonder if you look at the, you know, overall what's happening, is, is he just doubling down on the fear? I guess a, a kid would do this too. <laughs> Double down on the fear when your parent tells you, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. It's real to me, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, when you know differently, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I'm not sure I caught this uh, watching it the last time, but uh, it struck me this time that because Doctor Who is a show that has been criticized often for being too scary for its uh, intended audience, that um, Alex thinks that part of what's gone wrong with George is uh, the things he watches on TV. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the doctor says, nah, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then we thought it was the books he reads. Is no, reading's good. Dude. Oh, man. Because you remember when uh, they were t- uh, when we uh, saw Colin Baker at, um, I guess that was in uh, Atlanticon, right? No, uh, Hulanta, uh, yeah. Hulanta, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Alan. <laughs> whatever, whatever the hell you call it. <laughs> yes. Formerly Timegate, yes, at Hulanta, uh, that that question came up. And, and he said, and I think he said it a thousand times, Colin Baker said, um, I think children should be frightened regularly. And 
he's that sounds like he's being mean. But what he's talking about is that scary stories when we're kids are a way we have of uh, practicing for real life. Yeah. That you you learn how to get past something and, and you, and you, you learn in a, in a way that's safe because in the end it is only a story. Yeah. But imagine if we, if we encountered something truly terrifying in our lives, you know, as, as a child and we were in no way prepared for it. If we'd never, yeah. if we'd never had the concept of something being scary before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I got to side with the doctor here on yeah. that one. Well, uh, you know, I will, I will take from my own experience. I lived in a, or I lived in an existence to where my parents sheltered me and tried to present to me the best version of reality in the sense of anything that went wrong in the outer family or whatever and whatever was shielded from me to the point to where I can go back as an adult and pick out times when I was naive growing up in my early 20s that I may not have been had that rose-colored glasses not been <laughs> put upon your face to see everything as wonderful. Yo también. Yeah. Yep. You and me, brother. Yep. Yeah, so many times uh, in my young years, I thought, why didn't somebody tell me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right there with you. I'm sure they thought they were doing a, a kindness, but No. I, I needed to know this. <laughs> so, Clarence, I have a question for you. When you get to the point as the viewer and realize that this is not an eight-year-old child or however many years old the child was, this is actually an entity, an alien being that has responded to these people and come to them. Did that change your perception? Because we keep talking about perception with this story. Did that change your perception of the story? Did it enhance it? What were your thoughts? I think it made things a little better. It definitely made the story make sense. But it left me wondering if this race of people, the Tinsley are, I think that's what they would have called them, if their whole, the way they operate is meant to... And well, see if to go and be in place or impersonate and be in places where they're not normally supposed to be as a means to survive. But then they get scared and start to wreck everything. How is the race even surviving at all? I'm, I'm kind of I'm trying to understand the logic there of, of why. And maybe I just missed it in the episode. But why choose this family as a means to survive? What do you need from them? to survive when you can create any world that you dream up? Or do you depend on their hopes and dreams or fears to, to survive? I, I don't quite understand the logic in that. Mm, I have a thought, but I want to hear what Lee thinks first. Well, this is in some ways my, may, my yeah, maybe this is my main problem with this story is that when we get that vital piece of exposition, it's while the doctor and Alex are fighting uh, for their lives. And so that conversation, it's very easy for that conversation to get lost completely. And it is the key to understanding everything else that's happening here. So I thought that was an interesting choice that they, they, they had the doctor explain what in the hell's going on here at a time when it would be easy for the audience to miss it. I can, I can imagine the, the final edit session where, um, the director and everybody involved are, are watching that and going, 
I'm not sure I can hear what he's saying. Well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it now. We can pump up the volume a little bit, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, we blocked the fight this way and that's, you know, that's where he says it. So I don't know. I just, I, uh, I'm looking at, um, a transcript now and I'm seeing that, that, uh, yeah, he says he's one of the Tenza, the Tenza, and he'll adapt perfectly now. Hey, be whatever you want him to be, the Tenza. But why, why is George being a Tenza? Why does that make, why does that make Amy turn into a, a, a ragged peg doll inside the dollhouse? I, I mean, that this is crucial, right? We yeah. have to understand why the things that are happening inside the cupboard happen. And I don't think we ever got to that. Yeah, I don't think we did either. Why does he get scared and why are his fears manifested like they are? Yeah. Oh, well, it's a, it's a little tentative. But yeah, if 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 the whole thing about the Tenza is that he has to be accepted where he is and – and Alex and Clara are starting to feel there's something wrong with George. And so they're, they're distancing him. And that's what he's afraid of. And so yeah. he's, he's making it all happen inside the cupboard. Uh, yeah. I, uh, okay. But he did brainwash them. With, <laughs> yeah, it's not funny, but they couldn't even have children. Right. And Alex didn't re- even remember that. Yeah. So here's my problem with it. Mm. I would be so freaking terrified of that child. I'm it's sorry. Scary. You know, yeah. I would be because I think, you know, we've had the discussion before of the doctor wiping people's minds and making them forget mm-hmm. things. Yeah. I think this is the perfect preservation step that, yes, you you don't want to erase the acceptance of the child because the child as the creature, you know, no, I'm going to say creature, as the alien entity that it is, is not, I don't think, inherently bad you know it's an adaptive type of being so it's doing what it does and i'm not saying that's good or bad it does what it does that said i wouldn't want to have in the back of my mind that every time this child quote unquote does something wrong and gets disciplined that Mm -hmm. is going to now think well this person doesn't love me anymore and so therefore i'm going to start thinking that i'm going to be whatever, 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 and bad things start. I would like that uh, me picturing myself in that situation. I'd be terrified of that entity. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you've seen the unforgettable classic twilight song with Bill Moomy as the kid who can wish people into the cornfield. You know, he's got his whole family living in day to day, stark terror. Because if he doesn't like them, he can just make them go away. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and that would be like living with George, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I have to give them credit for the kid that they got to play the part. He pulled off creepy, nice creepy well, because he came across creepy to me. I, I was really interested in this actor. And I learned that he's, uh, he's now a voice actor, that he's, 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 he's been playing characters on uh, Peppa Pig. And, oh, uh, okay. I think that's fun. That's cool. Yeah, him and Brian Blessed, you know, <laughs> put them in the same category. Uh, <laughs> what one, <laughs> one degree of separation? But, um, but I, I also found him charming at times, and I was genuinely, my heart went out to him. He's he's, he's frightened and and crying, and uh, you know. But once we learn that he is actually responsible for this, yeah, then when you see his face again, you can't look at it the same way. Think, yikes! So. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was one part of the episode that 
was certainly confused on. So are, are we to assume that Alex is a crook? What, what's the deal with the guy coming in with the dog? All I want is my 350 pounds. I, I was trying to stay focused on that today, and I just didn't get it. The bet gone bad or something? I thought he was the landlord. Well, he said he was. Oh, um, I missed that, man. But that, that in itself made me say, oh, I appeal to our UK friends. Do people living in council estates, I didn't think they had a landlord. Is that just something that he says? Because he's extorting uh, <laughs> money from the people around him, you know. That I'm the one you have to come to, you know. Yeah, do me, uh, I, slap me some money, I'll keep you safe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like is, this is a it, protection, is a protection record. record. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But and does and does George even know Mrs. Rossiter? I mean, she gets she gets eaten by garbage, right? What? <laughs> right. That this was is great. <laughs> was presumably, this has happened because George has made that to happen. But uh, why? Is something in there? <laughs> <laughs> and I read something. It said that that's that um, Mark Gatiss has a particular thing about stacks of garbage bags because you know rats and bugs and live in them and so yeah. so he so he wanted to do that. But yeah, okay. So that was for you. But go the extra mile, Mark, and make it actually make sense for everybody else. Well, he did tell yeah. us that she had bad knees, so. <sighs> Yeah, what did Amy and Rory do besides go a floor down? Well, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) So I did not even remember. I thought this was a companion light episode from my memory of watching it one time. I completely forgot that Amy and Rory were even in this. Wow. And and this this probably is a really super picky thing. But I, I remember this from when I saw it before, and it struck me again, too, that when Amy looks at the grandfather clock and the hands are painted on it. That's when it clicks for me. I go, Oh, it's a dollhouse. They're in a dollhouse. Ah. And, and from that moment on, I was looking with intense, with, with heightened scrutiny at all the things that they come into contact with. And I was thinking, okay, so they're four inches tall. Let's see. (laughs) But, but everything that they touch, it was on their scale. You know, I, I really would like it if, if every, thing in there was if it was made of plastic if it had a little bit of plastic flash around it yeah. or if it was if it was something that had a, 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 a attack in it that it would look like a giant nail to them you know because i the just door didn't have a doorknob lee come on yeah, right exactly <laughs> that kind of i just i and i know that this is because i have always loved um perfect miniatures i love things that are gigantic and things that are um you know perfect miniatures that's my one of my bizarre hangups. If you, uh, you know, took a, a, a tiny camera or like a periscope and you went into a dollhouse, it will look like. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you look at the super marionation shows, the you know the the, the Anderson shows like uh, Thunderbirds and Stingray. I mean, one of the things to admire about that show is that they think about things like that. So when somebody turns the page of a book, the the paper is super super thin because it's it's on their scale. Yeah. You know, and they and they have these tiny bottles with tiny, tiny labels on them. You know, that kind of thing that, that they love paying attention to that kind of detail. But that was not happening in this episode. They just had Amy and Rory in uh, the, this nice house that's redressed to, to be a, a dollhouse. But it didn't yeah, look I, like. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get the dollhouse thing until the doctor actually said it. And even when the, we open the cupboard and we look inside it looks like just a mansion off in the distance. It doesn't 
look like a dollhouse. Right. Maybe it's not supposed to, but yeah. No, I think that was a way of compromising the fact that the full size location they were filming in didn't look like a dollhouse. <laughs> yeah. There's just there's just so many. Our listener is right. There's a lot of things to love about this episode, and it is genuinely frightening if you're willing to buy into it. I I admit that I'm just too busy uh, questioning it that I I've checked out of it. I'm thinking, but but why are they in a dollhouse? How did that happen? And it doesn't look like a dollhouse. I just I don't I want an explanation for this. Oh, that's the explanation. I don't buy it. Uh, and this is the end of the episode? Good. <laughs> so I'm going to t- spin it in a positive way because th- I Good. did get something positive as a message. So if I had to think of what the message as a whole for this story was, and I think this could be applied to whether it is as a child or whether it is as an adult or whatever the case may be, I think this story, if you sum it up to its core, I think it revolves around the fear that we as entities, as humans, have of either being rejected or being left alone by those that we love, whether they are friends, whether they are a partner, you know, a spouse or child or whatever the case may be. I think it is talking to the innate fear that we have of being left out or being left alone or being rejected and then the ultimate acceptance as he did, even that was knowing that it was an alien entity, accepted nonetheless. I think that was the ultimate story point that I took away. And that's a positive thing. Yeah. 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 I, I think you're exactly right. If there if there's a, a an emotional strength to this this story, that that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely the perpetual nature of that. If you have a some type of phobia or fear, and you tell somebody that you love, and you don't really need them to judge you on it, you mm-hmm. need them to say, you know, I still love you. That's all right. Instead of being like, I, I'm not gonna say that his parents didn't love them, but they certainly seemed like they were treating them a certain type of way because of um, this fear that he was having. Yeah, that's kind of what I got out of it, um, that you you need your loved ones to embrace you, <laughs> even if you're going yeah. through stuff. Right. Especially when you're... It doesn't matter if it's family, blood, family, not blood, friends, whomever. It is, it's, uh, it's about the connection between the people. And that, yeah. that, I think, is a good positive from, the, from yeah. this story. Yeah. Face your fears together. Alex comes in the circle of the creepy dolls with George, you know, to face it with them. So, yeah. 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 I'd still be scared of him. So all of which is to, all of which is to say what you need is fam. Fam. Hashtag fam. Hashtag fam. <laughs> hashtag fam. Hashtag that means unless you guys have any other things to say, I say it's time for our favorite quote so favorite quote clarence brown what was your favorite quote Hmm. Uh, i think it was alex that said uh we went inside the cupboard how can it be bigger here in here and then the doctor (laughs) says more coming than you think actually (laughs) i would have been really disappointed if nobody had remarked on the fact that they're getting inside a cupboard and it's bigger in there (laughs) yeah that was pretty awesome good one lee shackleford favorite quote I learned the word pantophobia from uh, a Peanuts uh, strip many years ago that uh, 
Linus admits to being afraid of everything. And uh, Lucy tells him that's pantophobia. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's a made up word. It just means, I mean, it, it's literally pan <laughs> afraid of everything. And I, I don't anyway, but yeah, Alex says that, uh, George is afraid of everything. It actually says pantophobia. That's what it's called. Pantophobia. That's not a fear of pants though. If that's what you're thinking, <laughs> it's fear of everything, which would include pants, I suppose in that case. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. That was good. All right. My favorite quote is, great. Reading's great. You like stories, George? Yeah, me too. When I was your age, about, oh, a thousand years ago, I loved a good bedtime story. The Three Little Suntarans, The Emperor Dalek's New Clothes, Snow White, and The Seven Keys to Doomsday. Eh, all the classics. <laughs> Alex is just looking at him like he's crazy. Like, what? Uh, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what? Or, where can I get these books? Yeah, let me throw in an honorable mention real quick. Right. Uh, I loved when Amy says, it's a dummy, it's a dummy. And then Roy's like, ah, this is weird. And then Amy says, so says the time-traveling nurse. <laughs> the time-traveling nurse. Yeah. <laughs> my my honorable mention is uh, after the doctor gives him the whole, uh, you know, I came across the universe, you know, and monsters are real thing. Alex says, you're not from social services, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was good. So, <laughs> we also have to mention when they canvassed the uh, complex to actually find the apartment. I thought that was interesting. Oh, that was some fun cameos there. <laughs> so favorite scene, Lee Shackle. I love that whole conversation between Alex and the doctor when, when Alex tells him to, to leave. And uh, the doctor won't go. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he keeps stubbornly making his cup of tea and he wants to get milk out of the refrigerator and he opens the door and Alex closes it and the doctor opens it again. And uh, I see on IMDb, which means it must be true, that um, that's not in the script, that the two of them improvised that, that Matt oh. opened the door and uh, the actor playing Alex, he just closed it. So Matt decided to push it open again. Oh, <laughs> it just it really, really adds uh, a huge tension to the scene. Um <laughs> And I, I, but I do. I just love that whole thing. And um, yeah, and the doctor wins with one of his speeches. And yeah, there you go. I love that scene. Awesome. Clarence Brown. Uh, my favorite scene of the episode is when the doctor is sitting on Alex's bed. I mean, on George's bed with George and they are looking at the toys and the doctor just whips out the Sonic and makes them start dancing. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a really good touching moment between those two. George is delighted, yeah. So my favorite scene happened just a little bit before that. And you see Amy and Rory, and they're walking past the apartment. And then you see the doctor up on the next floor looking down, and he sees what they don't see, which is the little boy peeking out the window who is scared. And, That's right. And, and so I, I really like that. So that was my favorite scene so final rating clarence brown i'll start with you final rating uh, how dare you make me go first on this <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i'm gonna say a 2.8 um and, and and that's merely me trying to pit it up against all the other great episodes we've seen i have to kind of gauge it based on those and uh this is certainly not one of my favorites uh, but I think we, you know, if you guys are any any indicator, we may see something a little worse later. So happily wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to give it three giant pairs of pinking shears out of five. Mm. I did like the, the prop of the big pinking. So oh, those- I will just 
keep tradition going of being somewhere in the middle of the two of you and all my opinions and say, I will give it 2.9. TikTok goes the clock out of five. So that's it. 2.9. I, I forgot my thing. I forgot my thing. I think mine going to be uh, Toy Robots. Yeah, yeah, I throw that in there. There you go. Yay! Yay. Ready for Toy Robots. All right. So, gentlemen. Last question, and this time, Lee, I'll start with you. What have you been watching, or where else could you be found on the internet? I have been digging the uh, highly controversial WandaVision, which uh, has got um, Marvel Universe fans in a snit and uproar, which is always fun. And, you know, maybe you got to be my age to really dig it, because uh, they are doing these dead-on, picture-perfect uh, imitation of um, first uh, the Dick Van Dyke show and then Bewitched. And it's, uh, you know, for people who grew up watching those, it's it's brilliant. And I just can't get over how, how great those two performers are. I've enjoyed them, you know, as Wanda and Vision elsewhere. But to see their range being expanded as performers like this so much, it's just... It's just, I think it's terrific, but boy, there's a lot of haters out there. Yeah. So that's fun. Anyway, WandaVision. WandaVision. All right. So Clarence Brown, what about you? I'm going to agree with Lee that WandaVision is fantastic. I don't see how the young folks are going to catch on to it just yet, <laughs> but it's awesome to me because I'm old. <laughs> but I love that. As well as I'll say, keep checking out The Expanse on Amazon Prime, as well as I've been uh, watching for the first time Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. And I have to say, I'm really digging the Andromeda AI. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Uh, she's yeah. Really awesome. Yep. What to say. <laughs> so I'll keep it going and say, I freaking love WandaVision. I love the Scarlet Witch. I love Wanda Maximoff. I love everything about that character. And I am like so here for those first two episodes. I watched them and wanted more. I immediately was like, binge, binge, binge. I want more. I feel that there will be a discussing comics episode very soon about WandaVision, either as the entire season or maybe a couple uh, in between. But yes, I am not a hater. I am loving it. Hands down. WandaVision. Love it. Do we know what the, the plan is for for number of episodes? I think there are nine episodes. Nine. Okay. Because I was reading something that said there were, well, remember I hate math because I said that a couple of of episodes <laughs> ago. But yeah, if there was two and there's seven more left, that would make nine. Hey, yeah. Cool. Yeah. You did that. I did that. But you know what yeah. else I'm also doing? I'm also Whoa. saying for everyone listening, thank you for being here. We appreciate your time. And with that, we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. Discussing Network.